We're looking forward to Shelton's lesson tonight, the six o'clock hour. Our lesson this morning is number two, as we address the subject in this series, the purpose of preaching. In the initial lesson, we noted that the purpose of preaching is to make known the scriptures. This series is based on Acts chapter 2, one of the greatest chapters in the whole of the Bible. As we have noted often, the Old Testament looks forward to two basic fundamental events, the coming of Jesus Christ, and the coming of the church of Christ. Acts 2 is the first gospel sermon in its consummated, completed form. The gospel was preached from Genesis 3.15 all the way through to the last two verses in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, that points to the coming of the Elijah of the New Testament, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And therefore the gospel was preached all the way down through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We hear in John 19.30, Jesus saying on the cross, and perhaps you thought of these words as you partook of the Lord's Supper, it is finished. What God started when Genesis 3-6 arose its ugly head in the Garden of Eden, the time before the ruin of it all, of God, perfection, man, and innocence in the world of Genesis 1 and 2. God preached that first gospel sermon in Genesis 3-15 when he announced to Adam and Eve I'm going to solve the problem that you have started. And then in Genesis 12, 3, when he told Abraham and Sarah that through their seed they would bless all the families of the earth. Centuries later, Paul looked back on that statement, that great gospel sermon, and said that when God uttered those words, he was preaching the gospel to Abraham. All of those gospel sermons from Genesis 3.15 to the close of the book of John look forward in anticipation to this sermon on the day of Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. The second great event, the coming of the church of Christ, the church that Jesus said, I will build and did build the object of the gospel preached and the gospel obeyed. When that consummated sermon was preached on Pentecost of Acts 2 and people raised that question, what shall we do? The answer was given. They did that. They were repentant of their sins. They were baptized in the name of the resurrected Christ. That's exactly what Jesus said prior to his departure would occur. When you receive power from on high, you are to preach repentance and remission of sins in my name. That's what occurred on Pentecost of Acts 2. And some 3,000 honest souls, having heard the pure gospel of Christ in its consummated form, the first gospel sermon, to look back on the completion 
of redemption in the death to bear the resurrection of Christ. A backward look, not a forward look. There's never been a day like Acts 2 on the other side of the completion of redemption in the work of Christ on the cross. And all of our preaching today looks backward to the completed work of Christ on the cross and the initial gospel sermon on Pentecost of Acts 2. And every sermon today that is what it ought to be is borrowed to a large degree from what occurred on Pentecost of Acts 2. Many of our so-called gospel preachers need to go back and restudy Acts chapter 2 and learn how to preach perhaps something they have never learned. And uh, many have perhaps learned and forgotten the kind of preaching that Peter and those apostles did on Pentecost of Acts 2 ought to be the measuring stick by which we do our preaching today. Peter made known the scriptures on that occasion. As we noted in our first lesson on this subject, 25 verses set forth that sermon. And 12, one half of that sermon constituted quotations from the Old Testament. It is pure folly to neglect the Old Testament in our study and our preaching and teaching. Years ago, not too long after we came here to Panama Street, one of the saddest things I've ever heard came from the mouth of a brother who, having been here for perhaps a year with his family, said, Brother Chesser, we cannot understand much of what you preach. And I was startled upon hearing that because I had never had anyone to tell me that before. And I was anxious to understand just what do you mean by that statement? And he proceeded to say, much of your preaching comes from the Old Testament. And we come from a congregation that never studied the Old Testament. When the preacher who did all the preaching and teaching got through with Matthew to Revelation, he simply started over again. And we studied Matthew to Revelation. And that occurred all the years that this man preached where this family attended. Having neglected, obviously, their own study of the Old Testament, they knew virtually nothing about it. And in my heart, I wept over what that family had missed all of those years. The richness of what leads our minds to the New Testament. Point number two, 
The purpose of preaching is to prepare the mind to receive the truth. This is very much related to the first point, making known the scriptures. Well known to us is Romans 15, 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, that's Genesis to Malachi, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God wants us to learn some things that are set forth in Genesis 1, 1 to Malachi 4 and verse 6. There are thousands of indescribably wonderful spiritual lessons to be gleaned from the Old Testament. God, in essence, saying, spend some time in the Old Testament, lots of it. It will aid you in your reception of the truth. The Old Testament is meant to prepare our minds for the reception of the truth. A classic example in the New Testament of this is the preaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let us reflect, reflect on what he did, what he said, and why he said it in these 12 verses. Moreover, brethren, I would that ye should, that ye should not be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The water of the Red Sea on each side of them, the cloud above, they were baptized, buried in the physical elements. And therefore were all baptized unto Moses, unto his leadership and his direction in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. And it all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. There is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his pre-incarnate form, back there in the Old Testament, marching along with those ancient people as God led them out of Egypt, baptizing them in the cloud and in the sea unto Moses' direction and authority, hoping to lead them right into the promised land and would have done so had it not been for their unbelief. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. All takes our minds back to the Old Testament. He's got some things he wanted the Corinthians to learn and he wants us to learn. Many of our preachers today do not preach like Paul preached. They do not preach like Peter preached on Pentecost of Acts 2. There's not a thoroughly converted to liberalism, liberal church in the world today in which you would ever hear the proclamation of Acts chapter 2 from beginning to end. They no longer believe what the Holy Spirit through Peter preached on the day of Pentecost of Acts 2. They no longer believe in the exclusiveness of the church that Jesus said, I will build. Many of them have now rejected baptism for the remission of sins. The final consummated act of gospel obedience that allows a man to contact the blood of Christ. 
It is indescribable what has happened to the church that Jesus said, I will build during my brief lifetime. And where so many are now, where the very sermon that inaugurated New Testament Christianity in the world can no longer be preached and is scarcely ever referred to because the exclusiveness of that sermon and what it produced is no longer believed in perhaps over one half of the church today devoted to the horrendous, ungodly, damning spirit of liberalism. Now these things were our examples. There are untold numbers of examples in the Old Testament. God says, I want you to know them, understand them, preach and teach about them. They will bless your life. To the intent, and here now are five quotations from the Old Testament. Let me remind you of some things Paul said to the church at Corinth. And to every church and every person on the other side of the kind of preaching that was done on Pentecost of Acts 2 and was done by all those faithful apostles and those preachers and teachers in the first century that left behind what we have today. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That goes back to Numbers 11 when the mixed multitude started lusting after what occurred in Egypt relative to their meals. And then that provoked Israel to begin to lust and they started looking backward to all of those meals that they received back there, forgetting about the whip that was laid constantly upon their backs, the hard work, the labor, the slavery, the servitude, the suffering, all their minds can think about now is this loathsome manna from heaven. We are tired of it. We're sick of it. So they loathed what God was giving them and in their minds went back to Egypt. God said, I'm going to give you some meat to eat. You want meat? I'm going to give you meat until it's coming out your nostrils. And so he had these quail to fly in and they filled the camp. And for two days and one night, those people went about gathering that meat that God has provided. And they commenced to eat to fulfill their lust and scarcely had the meat commenced to be chewed, then God sent a plague among them and a multitude died. Paul said, you need to remember that. You need to go back and restudy that, reflect upon what God happened to those people back there. Now that's what can happen when you lust and you forget the provisions of God and you want something better. You need to think about that, Paul is saying. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
He took their minds back to Exodus chapter 32 when those ungrateful Israelites who had seen all the wonders in Egypt, the division of the Red Sea, all that God had done back there. And now Moses is on the mount. A handful of days removes their sense of gratitude, their sense of memory. They refuse to remember the past. And consequently, they went to Aaron and said, make us gods. And so he asked for the earrings and with a graven tool, he made a golden calf. And the people rose up and said, these be our gods, O Israel, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. The spiritual mind cannot comprehend that kind of thing. Paul is saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you need to think about that. What did those people do? Their memory was erased in a handful of days. Their gratitude was gone. Their devotion to God was gone. They forgot all that God had done for them. Cared less about what God had done for them. They were only concerned about the present moment and their needs being met. And so as a result of that, idolatry took hold of those people. God told Moses, you go back down there and see what those people have done. They have forgotten me and they have made their own gods. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. That goes back to Numbers chapter 25 where the men of Israel began to commit fornication with the women of Moab. And Revelation 2 verse 14 says that this was initiated by Balaam, who when he did not get his way in cursing the people, he told Balak, here's the way to bring God's judgment on them. Just seeing your beautiful, attractive, lusty women in among those men. And they'll commit fornication with them. And then they'll serve your gods. That's exactly what occurred. And when that transpired, 24,000 men died by the hand of God's judgment. Paul said, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you need to think about that. You need to reflect on what happens when God is substituted by something more akin to man's own mind, will, and thinking and the result of that kind of conduct. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. That's Numbers 21, when they tempted Christ and therefore tempted deity and therefore were judged as a result of what they did. They were destroyed of serpents. And then number five, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. That's number 16. 
where Korah, Dathan, and Abiram led in their rebellion to the priesthood of Aaron. And they wanted the priesthood and they wanted Moses' authority. They wanted it all. And as a result of that, the ground opened up, swallowed up those leaders. The very next day, all of Israel said, you have destroyed the people of God. Speaking to Moses and Aaron, God's leaders. And scarcely had those sentiments been uttered than a plague commenced. And Moses said to Aaron, grab your censer and stand between the living and the dead. The plague has begun. And before the plague was over, 14,000 plus people of Israel had died. Paul says, I want you to remember what happened back there. Now, all these things happen to them for examples. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. And then that familiar statement, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's the kind of preaching Paul and those early preachers did. They were constantly going back to the Old Testament so they could learn the lessons God wanted them to learn that would help prepare their minds for the reception of the truth. That's what occurred on Pentecost of Acts 2. Half of that sermon, direct quotation of the Old Testament. Those people would never have been ready in mind, in heart, to receive the sermon preached on Pentecost of Acts 2. Had not Peter quoted from Joel, that whole chaos that was going on, these men are just drunk, And after dealing with it initially with a common sense argument, Peter got down to the heart of the matter. This is exactly what Joel said would take place. And he quoted verbatim from Joel 2, 28 to 32, word for word. And when those people heard that, at least some of them, they saw the stupidity of that statement that had been made. They calmed down. They quietened themselves in mind, heart, and spirit. And having heard that pronouncement from the Old Testament, they were now ready to listen to the sermon. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Well, when Peter mentioned the resurrection, they needed some more proof. Their minds, their hearts needed to be steadied by uh, some more quotations from the Old Testament. And so Peter gave them what they needed. He quoted from David. And then he said, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, not David, Christ. And he said, we are witnesses of exactly what David said. This Jesus has been raised from the dead. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard these words, these prophecies, these statements from God in the Old Testament, in this great sermon, it prepared their minds for the reception of the truth. It's a tragedy that only 3,000 obeyed the gospel. Should have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands. All of the work that was done from Genesis 3, 6 to Malachi 4, 5, and 6. All of the miracles, wonders, and signs that Jesus Christ did for three plus years. All of the preaching, all of the points of truth many of which were pulled right out of the Old Testament. Just like he did to those two disciples on the other side of his resurrection as they were walking along. He quoted from the law and the prophets and it just thrilled their minds to hear that kind of preaching of which they were so familiar. And it wasn't until Jesus just left their presence that they said, did not our hearts burn within us as we heard that, those great sermons that the Son of God preached to those two men as they walked along together, pulling passages out of the law and out of the prophets to prepare their minds for the reception of the truth concerning himself. It is pure folly to reject our study, our teaching, and our preaching of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is an attitude developer. It educates the mind. It prepares the mind to receive the truth. And that's what Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2. Quoted from the Old Testament to prepare their minds to receive this gospel sermon in its consummated form that inaugurated New Testament Christianity in the world. The Old Testament opens with an attitude developer. In the beginning, God. Four words, yet the beauty of them, the fullness of them, the power of them transcends every word in Webster's Dictionary, every word in every language to do justice to. In the beginning, God. Introduction to the greatest being in all that is. The acceptance of the truth of those four words Educating the mind, enlightening the mind, illuminating the mind, prepares the mind, having developed it to the reception of every other truth that follows, every one. It would be foolish for an individual to reflect upon the first four words and all that is involved therein and then proceed to reject anything that follows in the God says of the following 66 books of the Bible. In the beginning, 
God. As we have noted often, that's revelation. In the beginning, God created. That's confirmation. And the rest of Genesis 1 is confirmation of the greatest revelation ever given. The existence of the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty Jehovah God. Out of whose mind and power everything else comes. It's folly to accept the first four words and then proceed to argue and debate and reject anything else that you read about in the Old Testament. All of those miracles ought to be as easily accepted as the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the words that we hear, the simplicities of life based on complex principles and divine labor set forth in the first chapter following in the beginning God. And all that follows is just endless repetition of the principles set forth in that chapter coming from in the beginning God to educate illuminate and prepare the mind for the reception of the truth. And only an individual who has either never studied, if having studied has forgotten all of those truths back there, would argue with Acts chapter 2, the exclusiveness of the church that Jesus said, I will build. And the simple plan of salvation, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing Christ, and being baptized for the remission of sin. Only an individual whose mind has never been educated or has lost its education of all those great truths of the past would argue with a sermon that sets forth the exclusiveness of New Testament Christianity. The purpose of preaching is to prepare the mind for the reception of the truth. Your present never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you've done that and sinned in some public way, straight away, or just need the prayers of the church, we hope you'll come while we stand and sing. Jesus came from heaven's glory, saving us at awful cost, who saved us from eternal loss. Why did he do? Highest of the high, though he nailed to the cross, his bite forsaken, 
was one of the God and three, who saved us from eternal loss. For him humbly bow, you too shall come to know his favor. He will save you, save you now. Who saved us from eternal loss? that sermon, Mr. Frank, very much. Um, let's remember our 5 o'clock uh, training class this afternoon and our 5.30 memorization class. Let's all uh, be here for those classes, if at all possible. Let's turn to one last song before we dismiss, number 549. A couple of pages back. When he comes in glory by and by. Sing the first and third verses and be led in a prayer. Oh, how sweet will be to meet the Lord when he comes in glory by and by. What a song of praise will be out for when he comes in glory by and by. How sweet, how sweet when he comes in the sky. What a joy, what joy when he comes in glory by and by. Come.